0: episode of the ETF Show. I'm Tom Bailey, II's ETF editor. So today I'm joined by Tom Eckett, the editor of the publication ETF Stream. Now Tom's a rising star in the ETF world. Uh, he joined ETF Stream a couple of years ago as a journalist and rapidly ascended to the role of editor. So we're going to talk about all things ETF today. So Tom, thanks for joining. I was thinking first, uh, maybe we'd start with um, the kind of growing concern about thematic ETFs, uh, which you guys at ETF Stream have, have covered quite extensively. Um, but I thought maybe perhaps it's best, uh, to start with the whole iShares global clean energy ETF, which has been one of the kind of key ETFs talked about in this regard, um, mm-hmm. over the past few weeks, there's been concerns about, um, it's kind of the liquidity and the index that attracts. And we at Interactive Investor placed it under, under review as it was one of our ACE 40 ethical funds. So Tom, do you want to start from the beginning with what exactly has happened to this, uh, iShares global clean energy ETF? Uh, what were the in- initial
1: concerns with it? Sure thing. Um. Yeah, thanks for having me on this first and, first and foremost i'm not not too sure about rising star but there you go um yeah so yeah basically this has all come about because there were basically huge inflows in in 2020 so the two blackrock clean energy etfs which both track the same s p global clean energy index saw over 6 billion inflows in 2020 alone this is kind of driven by you know the general shift um to renewable energy and also Biden pledging, you know, two trillion worth of climate infrastructure investments when he won the election. So that caused a kind of huge bounce and also huge demands for these strategies. However, the way the index was designed basically caused issues with this. So when the inflows came in, this effectively artificially increased the prices of the underlying holdings, especially the small cap names. So performers like stocks like Plug Power were up over nearly 2,000% from it, from the start of 2020 to its high in uh, January this year. Um, and yeah, this was really around the index construction issues. So it had a 4.5% cap weight on each individual holding. So that effectively gave it a small cap bias. The index also only had 30 stocks in it and only included uh, stocks that were pure play clean energy. So if they had a score of one, they were included in the index. Effectively, um, it's worth pointing out that this index was designed in 2007. So um, yeah, so there's been, there's been 14 years, and a lot's changed in the index construction and the way ETF issuers go about it. But effectively, the problem was with this, with these ETFs in particular, was if these flows reversed, then this could cause huge liquidity risk in the underlying, especially the small cap names. Um, so, yeah, so this led S&P Dow Jones to, to consult with the market earlier this year.
0: So S&P, which is responsible for the index, uh, has kind of proposed to increase the number of stocks in the index. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to explain that and what your view on it is, if it's a good idea or not?
1: Yeah, sounds good. So it really depends on your perspective and what you're looking for as an investor. So the new index that they're proposing is effectively, it's less concentrated. There's 82 holdings as a, as, of, as of the current rebalance which took place on the 18th of april so there's 82 holdings instead of 30 but that that effectively means that they're not including all clean energy stocks um like pure play clean energy stocks some some stocks that have been included might derive some of their revenues yeah. from uh free clean energy but not the full shebangs but effectively what this allows is is an improvement in liquidity because you're moving because the pure play clean energy stocks are naturally going to be smaller smaller in name um so when the flows went in as i was saying earlier that had the potential to cause big risks but now with the 82 holdings it's more diversified so effectively you're going to yeah you're it's a safer investment from that perspective and the way that s p have have done this is they've scored companies on one 0.75 and 0.5 and they've given a max weighting of 8% to companies that score one, and that's based on their clean energy, pure sort of how strong they score from a clean energy perspective. 0.75, they get a max weighting of 6%, and 0.5, they give a max weighting of 4%. And what this basically allows is the clean energy companies that score well from a clean energy perspective, they they get a higher weighting in the index.
0: So as you said, it kind of depends on your perspective if this is a good move or not obviously uh, no one, no one wants to liquidity risk with this stuff but mm-hmm. whether or not it is still the same ETF now as it was as it was uh, a few a few weeks ago a few months ago whatever uh, and I guess this touches on the wider issue with thematic ETFs that kind of issue is a stuck between two choices of offering a very direct and concentrated pure play exposure as, as you kind of called it um so sort a of theme uh or offering a portfolio with what could maybe be more um, really put as, as full of padding, less kind of direct stocks. And uh, you guys have written a lot about this um, in, mm. in your newsletters too. I was wondering if you kind of explain this dilemma a bit further.
1: Yeah, so it is a tricky one for ETF issuers from this perspective, because as you were saying, there's really a trade off between liquidity, diversification, and the purity of your exposure. I mean, from my perspective, you want to you wanna try and get the purity of exposure right. And I mean, you know, you want the purest names in the index. However, this can this can lead to liquidity risks, as we saw with INRG, the Clean the Black Clean Energy ETF. So it's really just a balancing act for these issuers. I mean, so with market cap weight, the, the problem you have is with market cap weight is the big names can dominate the index and they might not be in, involved with the theme directly so effectively what etf issuers have done has have taken slightly different approaches to try and avoid having the big kind of companies that aren't exactly in the theme purely in the theme and they have other derive other revenues from other from other areas of their business so there's different approaches that issuers have taken um Elgin, for example they equal weight all of their themes now obviously this is good in terms of capturing the entire theme however it does give a small cap bias and you can run into problems if these inflows increase, which is what we saw with INRG going back to that. Other issuers have done a sort of combination of market cap weight with the purity of the exposure. That's what S&P, as I was explaining earlier, have done. So there are lots of different approaches, but you can really see the problem with trying to include these small cap names in an index. And this is, yeah, these, these are the issues you kind of have to tackle as an issuer.
0: And so with all this in mind, how would you as, a, as an investor, uh, go about incorporating thematic ETFs into your portfolio? Like, would you be kind of looking for something with more pure play exposure or would you be
1: trying to balance the two? Yeah, I think you want to balance the two. So obviously you don't want to be exposed to the kind of Amazons and the Microsofts of these worlds, because you might be exposed to that in your S&P 500 ETF, for example. So you should really see your theme as a, as a satellite holding, it's going to be a small portion of your portfolio. Um. So in that sense, I'd really be looking for the purity of the exposure. Um, all themes, when you're selecting a theme, this is also a tricky business because all themes on the surface appear attractive. So as an investor, you've really got to do your homework and look, look at the actual index and look under the bonnet and really see what's going on. Um, if I can mention a couple of ETFs that I like in particular, um, one is the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing one, WCLD. Yeah. Um, they work with they work with experts, so they've worked with NASDAQ and Bessemer Ventures, who are two tech guys focused in the businesses, focused, in, focused on tech in the States. Um, yeah, so they've partnered with them to create the index, and that effectively ignores the big names such as Amazon and Microsoft, which their competitors don't do, they, they actually include Amazon and Microsoft. So I, I do like that ETF as well. And then another one is the Lixor Disruptive Technologies ETF, U-N-I-C. Yeah, and that that effectively offers exposure to a, a multiple number of themes, so like cloud computing, robotics, healthcare. So if you're unsure as an investor which theme is actually attractive to you and unsure of the long-term success of one versus the other, because it is quite a tricky game trying to pick robotics over healthcare, for example, <laughs> then this one allows you to kind of combine all of those together into one ETF, which which I think is quite a clever bit of innovation from Lixor.
0: Now moving away from from ETFs, uh, another big news story uh, in the ETF world has been um, the, the news that Amundi is going to take over Lixor. Uh, do you want to explain what happened here? And then also maybe why investors should care?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. So really exciting news if you're in the ETF space. Um, yeah, big news when it came out Amundi. Yeah. So acquiring Lixor. Amundi has around 65 billion euros asset and under management. is number three. So the com- the combining the two businesses, that's going to take them, take Amundi to the number two player ahead of ahead of DWS, who'll who'll move down to third. Obviously, they'll still be a long way behind BlackRock, which control 44% of the market, but it will create a 142 billion euro issuer, which is which which is pretty sizable. Um why investors should care about this is a good question. I think the key thing to look for is scale in the ETF space always does bring down fees or it should do. Yeah. So I think that's the kind of key benefit from this. On the other side of the foot, obviously, you do want competition in the space. So again, it's a bit of a balancing act. Obviously, you want people to be able to scale so that they, they can then reduce their fees. However, you don't want any competition. Obviously, competition is still very important in any industry. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say the sorry. I
0: was going to say yeah because about competition because the the two cheapest ETFs, uh, as far as I'm aware, last time I checked on on the London Stock Exchange, are both Lixor. Now it's only a question of like a couple of basis points, right? Because it's like the uh, Lixor's Morningstar Core UK ETF and Lixor Morningstar Core US ETF. They charge four mm. basis points. It's absolute cheapest you can buy an ETF for on the on the LSE, I think. And so those ETFs, you I know, mean, they're quite small. Will Monday swallow them into their ETFs and stuff? But in theory, the two cheapest ETFs in the UK
1: will go. Yeah, it's a, it is an interesting point. I suppose with with those um, with the Lixor those Lixor ones, I want I would point out it's important to look at the total cost of ownership because although yeah. they're four basis points, yeah, um, they're domiciled in Luxembourg, and they get charged U.S. U.S. dividends get charged thirty percent tax on um, when they're luxembourg domiciled and then when an etf is irish domiciled or a fund is irish domiciled the d- the dividends get charged 15 um yeah. so even though they are 0.04 percent um some of the more expensive ter's may actually be cheaper for investors to trade in that's a that's a good point uh, also because i mean uh you
0: know you can find uh iShares and and other other big equivalents for seven eight basis points and so those 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 three, four base points are really going to be felt in your portfolio
1: uh, when you in yeah. the other costs as well that you mentioned. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good point. I think, yeah, it's, it's stuff like spreads comes into play in a big way, so and AUM and there are other definitely other metrics that investors need to be looking at beyond the TR.
0: Um, so, so you mentioned DWS is, would now be the third biggest ETF issuer in mm. Europe. Um, and I noticed there's been some reports that um, it's, it's itself now looking for some acquisition targets. So I guess this is uh, more consolidation in the
1: in the industry. Yeah, exactly. So apparently the yes yeah, their CEO's been given the go-ahead to go and look for a potential acquisition. There's been rumors for a couple of years now about a UBS merger um with the parent company Deutsche Bank. So that would that would really propel DWS up the um or that new firm, whatever they were named, up the up the ETF rankings in Europe. Um There's also been talk of um, an acquisition of Credit Suisse Asset Management's um, arm, but their ETFs um, in Europe is very negligible. They only literally just re-entered the market last year and they have just under five billion still.
0: So another big trend in ETFs over the past year has been the growth of uh, so-called active ETFs. Uh, obviously, this is much more popular in the US, um, uh, but there are some active ETFs available to UK investors. We've got um, at least one on, on the II platform. Um, and, and obviously, this kind of, I think the story still confuses quite a lot of people because ETFs and passive uh, have kind of become what some, somewhat synonymous over, over the last few years so active ETF can sound like a bit of an oxymoron so I was wondering do you want to explain what an active
1: ETF is sure so I think to use a horrible cliche I think it's really important to remember that ETFs are just a wrapper yeah. and they're just a bit of technology that you can sort of use to kind of create a create a product effectively so you should never think of mutual fund as active and ETFs as passive because you know you have index funds which are mutual funds but they're passive. So. An active ETF could be seen as very similar to an active mutual fund. It's just the key differences are is they trade on exchange. So you have that kind of secondary market liquidity that you don't have with an active mutual fund. Um, they disclose their holdings daily um, and they trade intraday. So those are the kind of key differences. But on the surface of it, there isn't, there isn't much difference between the mutual fund and the ETF if if you're an if you're an active manager and you want to wrap your strategy up in a in etf format you can do that very easily so yeah it's always important to kind of move away from the kind of passive equals etfs and active equal equals mutual funds because it's very interchangeable
0: so i've seen the us has been the the growth of uh of active etfs uh, most notably the arc etfs which uh, just mm. for our listeners sake should point out that you can't buy those in if on a on uk or european platforms right now um if, if you're trying to look on ir you won't be able to find them or any other any of our competitors either um but obviously this trend is more popular in the us um do, do you think it will
1: come to the uk and europe yeah so it's really it's really taken off in the us recently it's because um the reason why it has is because the sec the regulator has basically green-lighted these things called non-transparent etfs yeah um they did that in 2019 and effectively what that means is n- um etf issuers don't have to disclose their holdings daily anymore and one key issue with launching an active etf before this decision was made was you had to reveal your holdings so effectively if you're an active manager you're giving away your your secret source, or that's what the argument was now there's been a bit of chat um it was more it was more it was bigger a couple of years ago but there's been a bit of chat with the central bank of ireland and iosco but there's they're yet to make that kind of um then yet to allow non-transparent etfs allow that structure in europe so active etfs are yet to, to kind of take off in the same in the same way as um in europe um from my perspective i really don't see too much of an advantage with the with an active ETF structure and the non-transparent structure I think ETFs are kind of if you're going down that route you're kind of in danger of mutating into something that they were created against I mean active ETFs fall down on performance just as much as active mutual funds just because they're in an ETF format that doesn't mean that their performance is gonna they're gonna beat the benchmark and obviously that's been a big issue with active managers over the past decade is trying to actually deliver on performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That obviously, um, makes sense. Mm. Um, I, I suppose the the UCITS regulation wouldn't allow for, I mean, that's what most ETFs are structured as in, in, for UK investors and European investors. So uh, I see be uh, interesting to see if we ever do allow non-transparent portfolios to emerge, but mm. I suppose that kind of would,
1: um, sorry. Yeah, the industry, I will add, the um, ETF issuers are obviously trying to push this hard with the Central Bank of Ireland. Yeah. They're um, they're very keen to get this one through. Um, but there's a couple of things to sort of cross off. There's, a, there's different ways you can have the non-transparent structure and the way and will they have to reveal their holdings daily to market makers, for example, so that market makers can price the ETFs accurately. But then does that give a competitive advantage to market makers when they're trading in the actual market? So... There's a couple of things that need to sort of bridges need to, they need to cross and sort of convince the regulator, this is a good idea. But yeah, I think the key point is, is that an active ETF is still active. Um, and just because it's in an ETF wrapper doesn't, doesn't change that. It still needs to deliver on performance. I think too,
0: because there's a, there's more of a tax advantage to the ETF structure in the U S um, than compared to uh, traditional mutual funds, then there is in the UK compared to open end structures. So, uh as you saw like um Fidelity kind of turning some of its old strategies like the Magellan fund into ETFs, stuff like that. Mm. You wouldn't probably see the same thing here. You wouldn't end up seeing uh I, I don't know, some some long running open ended active fund in the UK transfer yeah. itself into an ETF. It just wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense necessarily.
1: Yeah, I think I think yeah, the only as yeah, the tax advantage in the States is is such a big thing and in Europe obviously we don't have that. Um But yeah i would say that you know with an etf structure you do trade on exchange you do have a secondary market liquidity so that that can be seen as as an advantage over a mutual fund you know if there's a run on a mutual fund and there's lots of outflows then the etf could be uh, the mutual fund could be forced to gate so with at least with an etf you you don't run the risk of that um and you've also got intraday trading as well so for people like millennials who want kind of instant instant access to the to the strategies they're investing in then that intraday trading is an advantage. But yeah, you're definitely right. We don't have the same sort of tax advantage. And that has been the real driver and the real reason why that this, the trend is happening in the States and not, and it hasn't quite taken off in Europe, even, even if this, the regulators did allow it yeah. to happen. Um, so any other trends in the ETF world that you think our listeners should be paying close attention to? I'd say the one thing that's happened very recently was the investment association added, uh, 530 ETFs to its, to its sectors. Um, so for the first time sort of UK retail investors can compare ETFs with mutual funds through the investment association. Um, they did, they started this process in 2018. So it's been a long time coming, um, but it's good to see they finally got there and now, yeah, so now hopefully that will cause a sort of a bit, uh, continue the shift away from mutual funds and into ETFs, and in the UK, and I think yeah, that's a really positive step from the IA there. Um, also, I'd obviously mentioned the, the ongoing shift to ESG ETFs. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know that they they outpaced um, non-ESG ETFs in Europe um, last year in terms of inflows, um, and that shift to kind of sustainable investing is definitely one that's here to stay. Um, and yeah I'd think the final one I'd mention was just the cyclical shift to value that we've seen over the past few months. Um, but yeah, the question mark remains how long that can continue for.
0: Great thanks Tom and uh, thanks everyone for listening. Um, please like and subscribe and of course you can find loads more investment insights and ideas at II.co.uk. I'll be back next time for another episode of the ETF show.